Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, there's uh, certain times of the year that uh, if you don't know what's going on, you can, you can get caught up by your Facebook timeline. This is a time of the year where if you're not taking your whole family apple picking, you're a communist, all right? And I want you to know that, that that's, uh, that's the case. There's something else that's on my timeline right now, uh, and it is, uh, it's homecoming season, right? So everyone that has a, a high school uh, kid is buying boutonnieres and, and dresses and getting all dressed up and borrowing their uncle's convertible and all that fun stuff. Uh, we were talking about that at the, the office this week, just joking about high school dances and and somehow prom came up and it had a little flashback uh, because at my high school, homecoming is a non-existent thing. They would just hang up a strand of Christmas lights and we would all pay a dollar and dance in the undecorated cafeteria after a football game. That's, that's what farmers do during harvest season. We don't have time for a real homecoming, right? But, but prom was a big deal. And uh, it got me thinking of, of uh, just the dichotomy. We started talking about dancing and I had like a, a flashback. Um, I was, uh, there, there's kind of like two audiences at prom, right? There's uh, the people uh, who couldn't really dance or weren't going to dance a certain way. So I was in that, that camp where you'd be like trying to do the lawnmower and the sprinkler and the YMCA. One year, me and my friends learned an in-sync dance just because we were like, we want people to think we're cool. And, and, and we were over here like in the like, oh, I'm going to dance, but not really club. Uh, and then there was a, another club over here where uh, there were people that definitely had spent some time doing research on MTV. Uh, if you're in college and don't know what MTV is, it used to be a channel that people watched. Um, anyway, uh, and these, we, we'd, we'd watch people and we're like, oh, we don't, that's, I did not know how to dance like that, right? And you're like, maybe they should get a room or what's going on over there, right? And this felt like so, so bad. And so there were like these, these two camps. Um, and, and so as we were talking about uh, prom, I, I remember back to that and I flashed back. And that was the, really the first time around that age that I, I, I started to feel this, this tension, right? Often in life, we, we, we feel like there's these two audiences. I think as you get into college and into adulthood, uh, maybe you feel it more and in different ways. For some people, uh, it might be like, okay, how am I going to approach alcohol? Is it going to be like these people over here? Is it going to be like these people over here? What's my, what's my dating going to look like? What's my, what's my marriage? What's my parenting going to look like? And oftentimes, um, we, we just honestly see these two camps that are, that are so far apart. And uh, so today, as we, uh, we start the, the final season of Keeping Up with the, the Corinthians, we've, uh, we've been going through this, uh, this book, at First and Second Corinthians, these books for um, months and, and coming in and out of these seasons. Don't act like you're not all sad that it's ending, all right? We can... We can mourn that together. Uh, but the reason that we've been doing that is because the town of Corinth, the city of Corinth, had a lot in common with us in uh, modern-day America. This is, a, this is a church that was started... And, uh, and, and, and a lot of the people in this church were trying to figure out what does it look like to daily live my faith and to, to daily live on, on mission for Jesus. And they were doing that in a culture. Um, most people would have described Corinth as kind of like the, the Las Vegas of that era, right? It was a culture that was uh, known for some wild things. It was known as being very individualistic. Uh, they were people that were looking for equality, people that were looking for freedom. And, and in general, this, this town and this culture didn't trust authority. And so when we we look at how they were instructed to live for Jesus, to live their faith out, to live on mission, it applies a lot to us 
because we could say a lot of the same things about our culture. We're a, we're a culture that's very individualistic and we're grateful and we, we love that, that we have those freedoms. But at the same time, sometimes we take that too far. We don't know what it looks like to live our faith out. And so we haven't been trying to uh, keep up with the Kardashians, been trying to keep up with the Corinthians because we see a lot of ourselves as the modern American church in their church. So if, uh, if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to, to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 page 885. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under your chair somewhere that you can grab. We want to talk about this this tension today of what it looks like to be light in a dark world, what it looks like to be light in a dark place, and what it looks like to be a Christ follower and live on mission when it seems there's only these two extreme camps that we often fall into. So we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 on page 885, and get at this tension that applies to us, whether we're dancing at homecoming, whether we're at our friend's tailgate party, whether we're raising our kids. What does it look like to be light and darkness? Verse 3 says this, as Paul's talking to this church, talking to this congregation, talking to these people. He says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything." Paul is kind of teeing up this topic of conversation. He's talking to this church and he's saying, listen, let me remind you, this is what it looks like to live as a a Christian, as a Christ follower in the modern world. This applies back then in Corinth. And maybe you could look at this and, and say that it applies to you now. You might think that's a little dramatic. I wouldn't describe it that way. But he's saying, listen, this isn't easy. There are moments that you're going to be stretched. There are moments you're going to feel like you're alone. There are moments like you're going to feel like an outsider. There are moments that following Christ is not going to just be this easy, wonderful thing that comes so natural. It's going to take some work and it's going to be something that you have to think about. And so he's plainly saying, listen, this takes effort and this takes thought and this takes energy and this takes a part of who you are. This takes all of who you are. Paul is saying that your life when given to Christ should be lived for him and your life and your actions should reflect what you believe. And that's going to take some effort. And he's saying that when the world looks at your actions, when they look at your ministry, when they look at the things that you do, they should be able to see, wait a minute, there's, there's something different about that person. I might not agree with them. I might not always like what they do, but there's, there's something different and they're living for something else. And Paul's pointing out that in the course of a day, if someone's watching you, at no point should they be able to say like, well, look at how they carelessly live or look at their lack of discipline or look at how they they don't really think about things. Look at how they just go about life and they do whatever they want. No one should be able to look at your life and say, "Eh, I'm not really sure what they stand for. They should be able to look at your life and say, that's someone that's following Christ. And then he says this in verse 11. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, 
We have spoken honestly with you and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. I think these verses are, are interesting because if we, we know Paul's relationship with the church in Corinth. He, he, this is a church that he loved, that he'd helped start, that he invested in, that he would write letters to, that he would visit. And they weren't always really up for his visits or his wisdom. And I love that he uses this metaphor and he says, I hope that you'll respond as if you were my own children. And I, I think he's getting at the fact that maybe they were already very much treating him like a dad. And most of us in the room have a relationship with our dads. Most of us have heard our dad make a joke where we just thought like, oh, dad, that's the worst joke ever, right? Or maybe, maybe your dad has made a, a suggestion into your life and you thought, oh, what a dad comment, right? We, we, all, we all are dads or we have dads or we're... We're, we're parents or we have parents and we've thought, yeah, I, I don't want you to be my, my parent. I don't want your suggestion. I don't want you to say what you're about to say. And so that kind of lets us into this relationship with Paul and this church in Corinth. They haven't always responded to his love or accept, accepted his love. They haven't always said, yes, please tell us what's wrong with our lives or speak into our lives. Sometimes they've just done like that groan where they're like, oh, my dad's the worst, right? We all remember that groan. We call it seventh to ninth grade that we would do that, right? It's just, it's just what you do. And, and that's kind of how they've been treating him. They weren't listening to his spiritual advice. They weren't really ready to accept the wisdom that he was speaking into them. And he's saying, listen, I know that this is going to be hard to accept, but I want you to trust and know that I love you. Love is not always comfortable. Love is not always what we would choose, but he's saying, I'm saying the things that you need to hear. I'm speaking into your life in the ways that your church can grow and can, can be blessed. And I need you to hear this as if you were my own children. And so open your heart to me. I think there's something for us to learn there today that sometimes God sends people to speak into our lives and pass on messages to us. And sometimes we're not ready to hear those things or we don't want to hear those things or they're not comfortable or they're not the message that we would have wanted. And so we just close our heart off to that. Paul's saying, listen, I'm speaking truth. I'm representing truth. This is what God wants you to, to hear and to know and, and listen to this. And then he says this message. Verse 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with the darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul's saying this, this caption of scripture here and he's saying this passionately because like I said, this is a church that he's been involved with, that, he, that he's visited, that he's written letters to. He knows these people. He's thinking of names and faces as he writes this. He's invested in them. And he's saying this because he means it. And he's referencing a passage of scripture from the Old Testament where God would have been invested in the same way, where he was speaking to Israel, where he was saying, listen, this is going to represent a relationship. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm making a covenant with you. This isn't a contract that can be torn up and, and, and ripped apart and thrown away. I'm your God. You're my people. And I'm here for you. I'm invested in you. I love you. And so he has that same attitude and there are some takeaways. And before we begin to unpack those, I want us to, to hear something. Because I think when we read that first verse, we, it says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. The first thing we're thinking is like, oh, 
oh, we're not supposed to talk to anyone or we're supposed to start avoiding people. And, and so I want you to know this because we talked about it last week. We were in our series called On Ramp. We were talking about outreach. We were talking about sharing the gospel with the world. And, and we, we said this, that followers of Jesus should always have his heart to seek and save the lost. Jesus was asked what his purpose was in coming to this world. And he said to seek and save the lost. And so if we're going to say that we're his followers, that we're living on mission for him, we should have that same mission that we should be here to seek and save the lost. Our job is to seek and save the lost. We have a heart for lost people. We have compassion for lost people. We respond to people with grace and we pursue them with the hope of the gospel and the message of Jesus, just like he did in his ministry on this earth. That is our job. All of the other things that we do as Christians, from fellowship to Christian community and singing and worship, there's a lot of good things that we do. And all of those things we will do in eternity, we will do those things in heaven forever. But there's one thing that we are called to do as Christians that we cannot do in heaven, and that is share our faith. And so I've got to think that the one purpose that we're on this earth for, and this this season, this church season that, that God has us in, the reason that he wants us here is so that we can share the gospel, so that people can come to know him, so that they can be with him and trust him and call him their father and be with him for eternity. And so that's what we're called to do. And so I want to give that as a quick backdrop, because I think if not, We could hear these verses out of context, but followers of Jesus should always have his heart to seek and save the lost. Now that we have that as a foundation, these verses make a little more sense as they say, don't don't team up with those who are unbelievers. This verse is, is just saying this, don't pretend that you have the same DNA as the world. Don't pretend that you have the same DNA as the world. Now, I don't say that out of arrogance. I don't say that as like, hey, if you've ever talked to a non-Christian, don't talk to them again. Hey, if you you know someone that's not a Christ follower, you should avoid them. They have cooties or anything like that. This isn't set out of arrogance or judgment. This is set set out of humility. But the reality is that if, if we know someone and Jesus is not their Lord, our lives and our hearts look different. If we're going to say that Jesus has transformed our lives and transformed our hearts, then we have a different DNA. And so these passages, this verse is just saying, don't team up with unbelievers. Even there's, there's other translations that would say it this way, that do not be unequally yoked. And you guys are all farmers, and so you understand what a yoke is. No, we, we all live in small houses in suburbia, right? We had, uh, we had my son's soccer team out this weekend, and I don't think our house is, like, incredible. We have a one-acre backyard, but, like, these suburban kids would walk around the corner and just be like, whoa, right? Because there's, like, Disney World to them and Hilliard or something because their, their yards are, like, 12 feet long. So sometimes we miss on the, the farming metaphors here, but here's what this is saying, Right? Back then, the, there would be, there'd be animals, there'd be ox that would be yoked together. They would, they would pull a, a wagon or pull a farm implement that'd be used to plow up a field or do something. And, and if, you, if you didn't have two oxen, sometimes you'd, uh, you'd maybe, maybe uh, you'd, you'd hook one up with like a, a donkey or something. And so the animals would be different heights. They'd have different DNA, different trajectory, and things would just kind of drive crooked and, and go poorly, right? This, this passage is just saying that. Listen, if you've been found in Christ... Don't pretend that you have the same DNA as other people. It doesn't mean you're judging other people or looking down on other people. It means you're responding to them with the grace and forgiveness and love that Jesus has shown us. But at the same time, you need to be aware that you don't have their DNA. And so you have to ask, who's in my inner circle? Who's speaking into my life? Who am I depending on? Who am I walking with? Who am I trusting? And is that someone that should have that role in my life and in my heart? 
Paul's saying that believers should do everything in their power to avoid situations that will make them divide their loyalties. He's saying that believers should do everything that they can to to not be in a close partnership that will compromise their DNA as a Christ follower. And so we're not saying don't ever talk to an unbeliever again or, or judge anyone that's not a Christian and look down on them and think you're better than them. This is not out of arrogance, but this is just to simply ask the question, are my loyalties divided because of who's speaking into my life? Are my loyalties divided because of who's in my inner circle? Have I compromised my DNA or my mission as a Christ follower? Some people try to interpret this wrong. They, they look at this and they say like, oh, I'm married to a non-believer. I, I, I came to know Jesus after I was married. I guess I should leave my husband. I should divorce my husband. I should get out of that relationship. And this isn't saying that. In fact, there's multiple times in the New Testament where the New Testament church was asking that. They're saying, should I divorce my non-Christian spouse? No, you shouldn't. That's in 1 Corinthians. It's in, it's in 1 Peter. There's lots of applications of that. But there are some things that I think that we get caught up in. And one of them is dating. I think that these verses can greatly apply to that. If you don't have the same DNA, the same faith, the same foundation as someone, and you're expecting to be walking in the same direction and having the same results, I think you've got to ask yourself, is that what's going to happen? If you want to eventually get married and your, your dating is working toward that and you want to be one flesh, but yet you're on two different pages, you've got to ask yourself, is this really a recipe where that's going to happen? There are some times that people are blinded by emotion or they're blinded by passion or loneliness, or they think that God's going to use this or God's going to fix it. And that's why Paul had to call this out to this church and say, listen, don't pretend that you have the same DNA as someone else. You're called to do something different. You're called to do more. You're headed in a different direction. You're headed at a different trajectory. Who's speaking into your life? Who's speaking into your heart? Who's dividing your loyalties? So sometimes people get caught up and dating in a, a bad situation. This verse kind of lets us know that, but it's not just dating. We're not just here to pick on people that might be dating someone that, that maybe they, they wouldn't have seen themselves dating. There, there's also times that people get caught up in the same thing in work, right? You might find yourself in a job where you feel like your loyalties are being divided. I'm not saying if your boss isn't a Christian, go in tomorrow and quit, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But there are people that, that are convicted as they hear these verses because they're thinking like, I'm compromising my faith every time I fill out my expense report. I'm lying every time we, we have these inspectors come in. I'm being asked to not reflect my faith and not re- reflect that Jesus has transformed my life and my heart. And I'm being asked to lie by being in this job. And this verse might be, might be talking to you. And for some of us, it's just a matter of who we're letting speak into our life, who's in our inner circle, who our best, most intimate friendships are with and how we're living those out. Because we don't have the same DNA as the world. If you understand that, that you were lost without Jesus, but he came to this world and gave his life and died on the cross to change your life and change your heart. And that by believing in his death and burial and resurrection, you've been changed, not because of something you've done, but because of his work on the cross, then you have a new DNA. You have a new heart. You've been transformed and you've been changed and you're called to live like that. I was meeting with a couple, a couple of years ago 
And they were talking about the possibility of getting married. And so I asked them their story. I asked them how things were going. I asked them just what was going on in their relationship. And they would talk. And, and as, they, as they talked more, it, I felt like the one was pretty comfortable. And I, I told them I appreciated it. And she, she was sharing. She's like, yeah, I'm not really a, a believer. That's just, I'm not, I'm not there yet. And this other guy was, was saying, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. And as I heard their, their stories, I, I said, do you guys think down the road that will maybe uh, run into some, some trouble? And, and he said, no, I think we're good. We're kind of the, the same person. And I said, really? I said, so you, you believe that Jesus came to this world and gave his life and has changed your heart? He said, yeah. And I said, do you believe that? And she's like, no. And I said, and you believe that the Holy Spirit is working in you and can call you to do things and you need to respond to him. And maybe he'll ask you to give away half of your worldly income next year and move to Africa and be a missionary. And you believe that? And he's like, yeah, I believe that. And I said, do you believe that? And she said, no, not really. I don't know. It's cool, but no. And, and I said, it sounds like you guys are kind of in denial that, that maybe you're on different pages. And and she looked at him and she said this, and she said, we're not on different pages because I don't see him living out this faith that he's talking about. We have the exact same life. So sometimes I, I think the caution for us as believers is that if we're able to interface with the world, if, if we're able to, to sink in with the world and pretend we have the same DNA, it might be because our faith is not changing our actions. It might be because our, our faith is not changing our lives or we're not living our faith out in any way. This passage is dealing with the, the tension of, of being light in a dark place and being light in a dark world and light and darkness have nothing in common. They have no fellowship. This passage tells us that. And if, if you're able to sneak your faith into the world, if you're able to sneak your faith into friendships, if, you're, if your faith is able to hide and not really stand out and kind of have the same DNA as others around you, then you might want to look in the mirror and say, is my faith transforming me? Because you do not have the DNA of the world. Your finances should look different. And your parenting should look different. And the way that you view alcohol and the way that you view relationships and the way that you view sex and the way that you view a lot of things should look different. So Paul's not judging these people. He's not saying that Jesus has given up on them. He's just saying, remember that you've been changed. Remember that you've been transformed. Remember that you have a different DNA and let your life look different. And so what does this tension look like? What does this tension look like day to day? Because I, I think sometimes we think there's just these, these two camps, right? There's like the people that dance a little too much and the people that don't dance at all. In fact, there was a church that was down the road from my, my parents' home growing up, and uh, no one in that church was allowed to go to prom right? They were, they were the church that didn't go to prom. And so they would have what they called like dress up night at their church youth group. And they would all play cards instead of going to prom. Yes, it's ironic that they taught them to gamble instead of dancing, but that's not the point right now. But that's, that's usually what ends up happening, right? Because we have these two camps. We have like, we have separatist people who are like, all right, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be holy. And, and everyone's going to know that I'm, I'm better than them. And then we have these other people that are like, there's no standards. I'm just going to be nice and love everybody and do this. And and we end up with these two camps and they, they have some names. One's the, the conformist, right? We have people that conform to the world and, and maybe to a fault. These are people who have given their life to Jesus. They made a decision to follow Jesus, but they look at the world. They look at the things that are going on and they just think like, all right, I'm, I, want to, I want to fit in. Maybe they don't know what scripture says. Maybe they just haven't really learned to live out their faith yet, but they have this desire to look like culture. 
And so they let media replace meditation and they let their Christian liberty replace love and they let tolerance replace truth. And it shows up in their speech and their relationships and their purity or their lack thereof. And it shows up in their actions and their humor and their expectations of others. And I think we've all known those people, right? Even as I read those things talking about the way that we view alcohol or the way that we view relationships or the way that we view media, we've, we've looked at some people or maybe looked at ourselves at some point and said, oh, that, that went a little too far. And then there's that other camp, that other camp of people that, that didn't go to prom, right? The people that were separatists, the people that were holy, the people that remind us of the Pharisees in the New Testament, people that wouldn't hang out with anyone, the religious elite that, that thought other people were dirty and did anything they could to avoid being around the world. They've made a decision to follow Jesus and to give their life to him, but they want to be so set apart that they're anti-everyone and anti-everything and anti-impact and They retreat from culture, and so they set up rules to replace relationships, and they get out their microscope to replace the mirror instead of looking in the mirror and saying, all right, what is Jesus asking me to change? What does my life look like? And they worry about their own religious performance and the religious performance of others instead of letting a passion for Jesus move them. And not only do they not drink or, or not listen to certain radio stations, but they don't even go near the beer aisle when they're at Kroger, right? They stay like two aisles away over in the cracker aisle because they're so holy. And so they're not the conformists. They're the separatists. They're completely set apart and everybody knows it. And when you look at them, you see that they're religious and they're good. And yet it doesn't feel like that's what Paul is getting at in this passage because he wasn't saying to avoid the world. He was saying you should look different, but he wasn't saying you should avoid the world. We look at the the, the rest of scripture and we know that there's a narrative that we're supposed to seek people out and we're supposed to pass the gospel onto them and see their lives transformed and, and changed. And so what does it look like for us to not be this separatist or a conformist? Well, we're called to be transformists. And that's a, it's a difficult thing, but it's what we see when we look at the life of Jesus. Because he had a reputation of hanging out with the wrong crowd. He had a reputation of hanging out with people who were tax collectors and people who were prostitutes. And there are many, many times in scripture that we see him walking along and, and, and meeting someone and going to hang out with that person. And the religious elite would say, you shouldn't be around that person. You shouldn't tolerate that person. And he would respond with like something that he does in Matthew 9, where he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And yet he wouldn't fall into the lifestyle of those people. He wasn't falling into the same sins and the things that were dragging those people down, but he was active in their lives. He was there to transform their lives and he was offering hope to these people. We also see this in uh, Acts 16. There's a time that Paul was in Athens and he was, he was getting ready to talk to some people and he found himself in this culture where people had a lot of different temples and they were worshiping pagan gods. And so as he shared hope with them, as he shared the gospel with them, as he shared Jesus with them, He tied in their culture. He tied in the way that they would have understood faith, the way they would have understood worship in the temple. And he even quoted a a poet that was was popular in those days. He, He transformed that situation and he let the way that he offered the bridge of the gospel to them make sense in their lives. If I was really cool right now, I would probably quote Lizzo and explain the gospel to you guys, but I'm not that cool. And some of us are so old that we don't know who Lizzo is anywhere. Maybe you've been working too much, all right? So go ahead and go home and Google that, right? But there was a moment that Paul was able to say that. He was able to say, hey, I want you to know the gospel. I want you to know hope. I want you to know Jesus. And I'm gonna break this down. I'm gonna quote a poet that you know because this can make sense to you in your situation in your life. And he wasn't a separatist. He wasn't a conformist, but he was transforming the culture that those people lived in and watching Jesus transform their lives. Transformists are 
a rare breed of Christ follower. They're kind of a, a new breed because we've been tricked to think that there's only two camps. We've been tricked to think that that's what we have to do and that's how we have to live. Transformists don't fear culture because they're called to shape it. They don't fear Christianity because they're called to embody it. They're relevant and they transform the culture that they live in as they live out the gospel. It's not easy. You might take flack from one side and you might take some flack from the other, but that's who we're called to be. And that's the example of Jesus. We're called to remember that we're here to seek and save the lost and seek and save the world. And we're called to remember that we have a different DNA, but we're not called to judge anyone or look down on anyone. We're called to offer them Jesus and watch him transform their life. That's what it means to live on mission. That's what it means to transform culture. And sometimes we have to look at our lives and say, I'm called to transform culture. Is that what I'm doing? You might look at your life right now. You might look at the last few months or the last few semesters, the last decade, and you might say, I've fallen into this camp. I, I know that Jesus has changed me. I know that I have a different DNA, but I'm, I'm a conformist. When we're at a tailgate, no one can see that there's anything different about me. When people are listening to me talk and tell jokes, they can't see that there's anything different about me and I need to make some changes. But you might also look at your story and say, I've, I've been a separatist. You might say, I grew up around some religion or I've, I, I let the pendulum swing so far that I've, I've separated my, myself from people so far that I'm not seeing lives transformed. I'm not pursuing people with the heart of Jesus. I'm not here to make rules about rules. That'd be really ironic, right? I'm not here to play Holy Spirit. I think that, that those of us that need to make changes are probably aware of those things and God's even put them on their heart as we speak this morning. But I think it's good for us to just know this, that followers of Jesus shouldn't be separatists or conformists, but transformists. And we're called to have the heart of Jesus for people. And we're called for our lives to look different because we have a different DNA because we've been changed by the gospel. And if you're going to say, God is my God and I'm following him and I'm living for him, then someone should be able to look at your life just like Paul was telling this church in Corinth. Someone should be able to look at your life and say, there's something different about them. They're devoted to something or someone and I don't completely understand it, but there's something different. People should be able to look at your life and look at your actions and see that you're not one extreme or the other, but, but that the things that you're doing and the things that God is doing in you and through you are transforming this world. Let's pray. God, we want to be a church and we want to be people who are transforming culture as you work through us, Lord. We, we don't transform anyone or anything. We simply respond to your word and respond to your goodness. And God, as, as Jesus walked this earth, his life looked different. Lord, sometimes I read scripture and I'm convicted that I look like the Pharisees. And sometimes I read scripture and think that I have no standards at all. Lord, I'm sure the church in Corinth felt that tension. They felt called to reach their culture, but not fall victim or pray to it. And Lord, we feel the same thing. Help us to live light in darkness. Help us to be light in darkness. Help us to take hope to the world. Help us to seek and save the lost because we're walking and we're living like Jesus. God, I pray if there are changes that need made in our lives this morning that you will 
You'll put those in our heart that the Holy Spirit will convict us and we'll do that. Lord, for some of us, we, we might not even be able to name the last time we hung out with someone that wasn't a Christian or doesn't go to church. We're in Bible studies and groups. and Lord, we even work out with Christians. Maybe we just need to change our habits and pursue some people who are lost. And Lord, some of us might feel like the, the church in Corinth that you're just putting on our heart today that, that we've compromised our DNA a little too much. We've let our, our convictions shift a little too much. Lord, our life doesn't reflect that we are given to you, that we're sold out to you, that we're devoted to you, and that we're changed by you. So Lord, help us to live out our faith. Help us to live out our convictions. Help us to live out our standards and live out the truth that you have called us to, not because we're better, not because we're arrogant, not because we think that we're holy, but Lord, we want to pursue holiness because you are holy. We want to be changed because you have changed us. And we want to run after you. So God, help us to do that as your church and as your people. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.